Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It still gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning. This is Real Presence Live. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I am Emily Leadham. And we are broadcasting this morning from sunny and hot and humid Sioux Falls, South Very Dakota. Very humid Sioux Falls, oh, South Dakota. It's it's June 30th and it feels like August something. Sweet summertime. Sweet summertime. Does it feel like summer to you? It's been a weird couple of months entering into summer. So it's... It has for me because we, we just have the opportunity to do a couple things as a family to get away to some lakes and which is like the epitome of so summer yeah summer things yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. so what about you yes and no moments of that and yet i'm realizing man we're coming into july it's almost fourth of july and uh yeah it's just kind of been one of those weird transitions because it feels like school never really stopped and summer never really started (laughs) that timeline was kind of confusing yes so um yeah in that way i think it's been a little strange but but good nevertheless amen so it is june 30th um which well that it does mean it's the um the Feast of the First Martyr of the Holy Roman Church. Later this morning, we're going to have Father Paul Rutten on. Yesterday was the, the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. And so today we're celebrating those other first martyrs of the Church of Rome together with Peter and Paul. Who were the other first martyrs? Lots of people. Do we have any of their names? Joe. Joe? <laughs> so. Bob. Bob, Bill. Yeah. So so for opening prayer, uh, I thought we could pray the colic from Mass, the opening prayer from Mass for the first martyrs. So in all honesty, that was, was, no, we don't know their names. (laughs) Be in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who consecrated the abundant first fruits of of the Roman Church by the blood of the martyrs, grant, we pray, that with firm courage we we may together draw strength from so great a struggle and ever rejoice at the triumph of faithful love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We may together draw strength from so great a struggle and never rejoice at the triumph of faithful love. I think mm, we need to hear that today. No kidding. No kidding. Um, we got some great guests today, but I, I just, yeah, yeah, so strange times. I mean, last time you were on, you and I were on together was in April when we were still in the, and we still are in the throes of COVID, but a different way. It was still new. Yeah. But then we had the, um, the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the protests and riots, which came after that. And so just a lot of unrest, frankly, in a way, for, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since we experienced this sort of thing in our, in our country. And so... The triumph of faithful love is definitely something I think we need. I think so, too. I was confiding in a dear friend recently, just struggling a bit with hope and uh, really needing to return to the wellspring of hope, which for me looks like coming to that place of freedom. Yep. In some ways, freedom yep. from freedom from worry, and uh, I had a great priest friend that made a beautiful distinction between concern and worry, 
And it's okay to be concerned. In fact, we ought to we be, concerned. be concerned. Amen. We ought to be concerned about the world uh, in which we live. And yet, uh, it's we don't need to worry. Right. It's not our place. Right. We're not God. You right. know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a great freedom in that for me. A reminder. Okay, I need to be... Um, yeah, I need to be really rooting myself in who God is, rather more focused on heaven than on the world, and that brings freedom for me. I, and I think what you said, because um, we're not God, so worry, we worry when we, um, when we think that we're the one who has to solve the problem. Right, like, right. We're worried. Wait, or, or because we don't trust that God's going to take care of it, which is a bigger issue. <laughs> yes. But they're both about, they're both lack of trust on our part in him thinking we have to do it because he won't yep. or just forgetting that he's the one who's going to take care of it what are the practical things you do to lean into trust <clears throat> that's a great question so so definitely i mean this for me this is why i need daily prayer yeah as part just as part of my day yep um so i stay rooted in him and then just over time practice makes perfect i've i've gotten in the habit of okay right now i'm worried and anxious lord Free me from this. Yes. So that's probably the biggest thing, Emily, um, is that I'll, <sighs> Lord, I can't do anything about this. Yep. And, and it takes time for me. It used, it used to be a long time. I've gotten better about okay, right away, as soon as possible, give it to him. Yep, so. absolutely. And for me coming to my family, doing that together as a family, oh, yeah. my husband and yeah. I having that conversation, what are the things that we need to surrender, um, which is, yeah, huge, huge for us to be able to have the conversation together. Um, and we're actually, we're very excited Speaking to have a family. conversation this morning yes. about family. Um, we have William Bradford Wilcox. He's the senior fellow of the Institute for Family Studies. Brad, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, Brad. I'm Chris Bergwald. And I am Emily Hi. Leadham. Hi, Chris. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. I, uh, I'm a little excited about this. We're, we're I want to tell excited. you. We we're, pretty, <laughs> we're pretty big fans of your work. And uh, yeah, the, when Real Presence uh, emailed us and said, hey, who would you like to interview? I said, what do you think about getting Brad Wilcox on? And they really did it. So we're so delighted that uh, you're taking time to join us. First of all, can you just introduce yourself a little bit for those that um, aren't familiar with you and your work? Uh, sure. I'm Brad Wilcox, and I'm a professor of sociology and the director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia and a senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. And where do you reside in the world? Um, I live with my family in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. So I would love to know what got you interested and really pursuing a career regarding building up marriage and family in the world. Um, well, I was raised by a single mom, and uh, I think that experience got me sort of thinking about uh, the importance of fathers, and then that got me thinking about the importance of marriage. Um, mm. And so i uh, really been studying uh, family and religion and culture since graduate school in Princeton um, before coming to UVA as a professor. Did you study with Robert George at Princeton, or was that before his time there? Uh, no, he was there, but he was in the politics department. I was in sociology, so I certainly I knew Robbie, and he was very gracious to graduate students across the university to have us for lunch like once a semester. But um, I didn't I didn't study with him directly. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, so for you as as an academic and so on, um, 
but not just that, just looking at our country, why is, is family so important? You sort of, just in response to Emily's question, um, answered it for yourself, but for why as a nation, a culture, especially, frankly, um, in a year like we're experiencing right now, why is family so important? Well, you know, family is, is fundamental, foundational for, for kids, for men, women, children, communities, and, and the country more generally. I mean, we know, for instance, that kids are more likely to be flourishing emotionally and economically. They're about four times more likely to be in poverty, for instance, if they're being raised by a single mom as compared to married parents. Um, we know that probably the best predictor of economic mobility, that's the kind of the opportunity to rise from poverty as a child to the upper class as an adult. Um, at the neighborhood level is the share of single-parent families uh, in a neighborhood. Um, so obviously the sort of the flip side to that point is that when there are more two-parent families, more married-parent families, um, poor kids are much more likely to realize the American dream. Um, we know, for instance, that uh, people who are stably married have much better assets by the time they hit retirement um, compared to those who are not stably married. Um, and that's even controlling for, you know, the kind of education you got when you were you know, in college um, or the kind of job, you know, that you held as an adult. So there are just many, many different kinds of outcomes. I mean, for instance, I was looking at a study of mortality, uh, death, you know, uh, a few days ago, and the top predictor in the study was smoking. Um, this is for people a little bit older. But the second predictor was being divorced, and the top mm-hmm. ten was being never married. So, wow. Are you serious? How, yeah. How That's... money, you know... Um, we know married Americans are much happier, um, both women and men, than their unmarried peers. Um, happiness is is hugely predicted by both being married, but even more so, of course, being happily married. Um, so there are just so many outcomes that tie directly to family life. And the unfortunate reality is we can't or we don't want to talk about these issues, you know, by and large, you know, in, in more public arenas today. Why do, why do you think that last point, Brad, why do you think that is? Why don't we want to talk about them when it comes to public policy, the public square, that sort of thing? Well, you know, it's a striking thing. We did a report on California a few months ago, and what we found was that uh, college-educated Californians tended to embrace family diversity, um, you know, kind of in their public ethic. But privately, they were more likely to say they planned to have and did have their kids in marriage and we're more likely to be stably married um, compared to less educated Californians. I think that's kind of an example of what's happening in the culture, and that is that more educated, more affluent, and also more religious Americans are, are still marrying and staying married in, in large numbers. But we've, we've stopped having the courage to kind of mention the importance of family life in the public square. I think that's because uh, marriage and divorce and single parenthood have become wrapped up in concerns about you know, being seen as tolerant and, and affirming, um, and people don't want to have those kind of difficult difficult conversations about um, how the choices you make around, you know, sex and parenthood and marriage um, impact you, your kids, and your community. So I think it's a lot to do with the sort of way in which we become a lot more um, concerned about affirming uh, diversity, tolerance, uh, and acceptance. And that makes us reluctant to talk about certain kinds of issues, including family life in America. 
I would be curious if you have any tips for how people could find that courage or what are, what are some tips that you might have for people that say, okay, I want to speak out about the importance of family life. How, where, when, what do I say? You know, do you have any tips for people that are looking to do that? Well, you know, I think one thing that's important for us to do is, is to preach to the choir um, or really to preach to the, <laughs> to the Sunday school, um, to be more accurate. I think one of the challenges today is that um, religious communities have not done a good enough job of kind of educating the young about these issues that we're talking about today on, on, on this show. And so we've got to start somewhere, right? And that somewhere is to kind of have a clear and compelling explanation of why it is, for instance, that kids are more likely to be flourishing when they're raised by their own stably married parents. So I think as a first step, we have to do a much better job in terms of our, our schools and youth groups and other venues to kind of educate kids and young adults about the importance of, um, you know, of these issues. Um, but then in kind of more public settings, I think whether it's, you know, writing for your local newspaper, having a conversation with a neighbor, saying something on Facebook um, or Twitter, I think it's important to just um, recognize that you can kind of make a discrete point, say, about the importance of dads, for instance, um, uh, when it comes to the odds that uh, boys, for instance, end up um, on the right track. And there's plenty of evidence, you know, on the Internet you can use to marshal. You know, mm -hmm. so I think the point I would make here is that I, wouldn't, I would make discrete claims about, you know, about fatherhood or marriage, um, but in ways that you can reference some research if, if you're kind of engaging in, kind of public debate because there's a lot of research that affirms the things I'm talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Brett, is there like a, a clearinghouse online that you think of? I mean, is it, is it maybe the website for the Institute for Family Studies? Is there somewhere that you know of that you can recommend to us and our listeners? Like if you're looking for some of this concrete, like factual data that we can share with people, in, whether it's in personal conversations or on social media, is there any sort of one-stop shop or, or maybe a few shops to, to visit for that sort of thing? Yeah, I think our website, familystudies.org, is a great place to go for a lot of research, uh, facts and figures. Uh, but I would also say that um, scholar.google.com is also a great resource. I mean, mm -hmm. you can find a ton of, of uh, science, uh, peer-reviewed research on you know, any number of questions you know, mm -hmm. on scholar.google.com. And so that's also a great place to go for you know, a really uh, wide-ranging <laughs> um, list of of studies that talk to these kinds of issues. Great. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Real Presence Live. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Emily Lita. And we're visiting today with Brad Wilcox, a senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies at the University of Virginia. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back with some more questions. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. The world is changing fast and needs problem solvers and critical thinkers. Right here in your backyard, Not Marty believes every student has the potential to serve the world and make a difference. We will help you obtain a degree that prepares you for success by exploring your talents and passion. Our community goes above and beyond to help each student feel at home, surrounded by love and support. We can't wait for you to see what's possible. We hope the future brings you here, close to home. 
at mountmarty.edu. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. I'm Joe Rutten, host of Rutten Radio on the Real Presence Network. And I'm Father Paul, pastor of St. Mary in Sioux Falls. I'm Father John, pastor of St. John Paul II in Harrisburg, South Dakota. And we want to invite you to join us for Rutten Radio. Coming to you Wednesday morning, July 1st at 7 a.m. as we discuss our movie of the month. We're going to look at the same kind of different as me. See See you then. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Emily Leadham. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And we are on the phone with Brad Wilcox, the senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, having a phenomenal conversation about uh, the importance of the family, the importance of marriage, uh, current kind of challenges to the family. Um, Brad, I would love to know in all of your research and and observation of marriage, what would you say are healthy characteristics or characteristics of of healthy, flourishing marriages? Well, you know, Emily, um, as I've been thinking about this issue, um, the, the sort of the five things that jump out at me are what I call the five C's. And the first thing I'm going to say is communion between husband and wife, kind of seeing yourself as a team, um, you know, rather than as two individuals. It's about we, not me. Mm. And, you know, a concrete example of this would be the way in which couples um, should be pooling their income. You know, today a lot of couples are... Um, basically segregating their checking accounts. There's a his and hers account. Um, and yet we know from the research that couples who pool their money, who talk about their money, who have those difficult conversations, um, and then kind of see their, their finances as, as, again, about the family, not about you know, the individuals are more likely to be flourishing and more likely to be stable. It's kind of, that's the first C. The second thing is, is children. Um, and the idea here is that couples who recognize that a core purpose of their marriage um, is to uh, to be a good example for their kids and to stick together for their kids um, are also more likely to be flourishing in part because they have a good outside of themselves, you know, to orient uh, their relationship in their lives. And that's always a good thing for us, uh, we know from, from the psychology. We're better when we're, we're being generous. Um, mm. The third thing that I would say is about commitment. And again, couples who have the sense that their marriage is till death do us part and who are committed to forsaking all others. Um, both those two sort of dimensions of commitment are strongly related not just to marital stability, but also the higher quality marriages. So, for instance, like, just sort of having some kind of ethic, you know, that when you're interacting with colleagues at work or, you know, people in your friendship network, you have some kind of agreed-upon ethic that you and your spouse have sort of talked through about how you kind of conduct yourself. And that comes to things like, you know, socializing, particularly like at night, if you're like you know away on work travel, et cetera, it's just you're kind of protecting your marriage and honoring that second commitment that I mentioned of, 
of forsaking all of it. So that's an example of the, the sort of the third C commitment. Um, and then the fourth C is cash. And we know that having a, a, a steady, decent uh, income is important. Having you know someone gainfully employed in the family is important. Um, and so making an effort to really um, have a strong financial foundation is also helpful um, in marriages today. And so we know, for instance, it's really important for the husband to be gainfully employed. Um, what we see is that when uh, the wife loses her job, there's really no increase in divorce risk. But when the husband loses his job, we see the divorce risk go up by about 33%. Um, so something wow. about quickly having the, you know, and obviously it's not going to be the case in every family that's just going to work out. But I think being kind of just particularly attentive to having the husband working full time is, is sort of a helpful, um, you know, ideal for most of us when it comes to sort of strong families on the financial front. And the final C is about community. And we know, for instance, that uh, we're just much more likely to be thriving in our marriages when we have a community of family and friends who've got our back. And the strongest community here is the faith community. So couples who go to church uh, together, for instance, are about 10 percentage points more likely so that they're very happy um, in their marriages. And they're about 30 to 40 percent less likely to get divorced compared to couples who are not part of a church community. Um, so that's, that's the fifth thing. And so you put these five C's together, you know, communion, children, commitment, cast, and um, community. Um, and if you're kind of doing, you know, many of these or all of these, from my perspective, you're more likely to be, um, you know, enjoying a strong and stable marriage across you know, uh, your lifetime. That I'm surprised at the difference, in the percentage-wise of community. I think that's amazing. One of the questions that comes up for me, Brad, as you're talking about all of these things, especially coming or or still in the throes of COVID, is the challenges that that has perhaps presented um, in terms of the income conversation, um, the cash conversation, some of those things. How do you feel like the pandemic has affected? marriages has it affected marriages has it made them stronger or has it challenged them well you know i think there is certainly you know some share of couples who've been hit really hard by you know the fallout of um of of the pandemic in terms of losing a job um or being you know, stuck at home um and so there i think there's some minority of couples who have you know seen things grow worse amidst this pandemic and are headed for uh divorce but I think the bigger story here is that most couples have come to a, a deeper, a perhaps a newer, uh, a richer appreciation of how much they depend upon their spouse, um, you know, for so much, whether it's, you know, a job or help raising the kids or um, assistance in caring for um, or, or just getting groceries for, you know, elderly parents. Um, so I think there's a way in which for a lot of Americans, um, we're seeing, you know, um, a deeper commitment emerging out of this uh, pandemic and a deeper appreciation of the way in which, you know, at the end of the day, we clearly can't rely on the state. We've seen that over and over again in the last six months. Right. And you can't rely on the market. You know, your <clears> boss, <throat> is, unfortunately, is not going to be there for you at the end of the day. We've seen this yeah. over and over again in the last six months as well. And so who is there for you? Well, hopefully your your spouse your parents, your kids, you know, your brothers and sisters. Um, 
And so there's a way in which, for people at least who are paying attention to what's happening in our country today, I hope they recognize and realize that, you know, the most fundamental institution I think going forward today is even more so is the family because again the state's not going to be there for you and the market is not going to be there for you and so you've got to think about how you can rely on and work with you know your parents your siblings your children and especially your spouse so Brad just think in light of the, these five characters of healthy couples healthy families marriages um, what you just said about the pandemic what do you see as like the, the top uh, behaviors maybe that that couples especially just our, our audience in mind people of faith what are the things that maybe most of us really need to be attentive to here in 2020 you listed all these five characteristics the struggles the the impact of the pandemic what what do you think like the top one or two things that maybe most of us really need to attend to yeah i would say three things quickly right now the first is to be more intentional about your religious life you know, as a family. Um, the second thing, I think, is to become more self-sufficient financially and practically. That means practically doing things like, you know, starting a garden, you know, a big garden that you can rely upon um, just to feed yourself and your family. Um, and then the third thing is just being more intentional about community, making sure you have a network of, of friends, um, maybe from your church or other places in your community, that, you know, when, again, the going gets tough, um, you can give them a call or an email um, and or a text, and you know you know that that they'll be there for you, and, and you will be there for them as well. So I think those are the three things that I think are particularly important right now and going forward. I love the example of becoming just self-sufficient, yeah, and yeah, really working to create that culture within your family. I think that's a, a beautiful reflection. Um, if somebody is listening that says, okay, that all sounds great, but that's not the reality of my family life. Um, any tips for healing, perhaps somebody that's gone through the, the process of divorce or someone that feels very distanced from their children currently? Um, any practical steps for working towards healing in the family that you might be able to offer? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, I think any family has its... Um has its share of, of difficult moments and dark times um, and, and strained relationships. Um, that's true for any family, every family. Um, so, yeah, I think what I would say in, in terms of that particular question is to recognize, number one, that, that time really can heal a lot of these wounds that can, you know, develop in our, in our family relationships. And so part of it's things about being patient and persistent um, and trying to keep, you know, lines of communication open and, being forgiving, um, you know, towards a spouse or a child or parent or a sibling that has hurt you. Um, and, you know, so sort of seeing forgiveness as an important part of the equation here. Um, and I think it's also recognizing, too, that, that this goes to the third point that I made in the previous comment, um, you know, that, you know, your friendships outside of the family can be a real, um, you know, wellspring of of support and hope, mm. um, you know, when there's an important dimension of your family life that's broken or, um, you know, or even at best of times, you know, that your spouse can't kind of be, is not, can't be perfect. And you, you'll seek out other, you know, sources of support and um, growth through friendships. Yeah. 
Um, Brad, we just have about two minutes left. Uh, any new research that you're currently working on or projects that, uh, new discoveries that are kind of on your pur- purview that you're really excited about right now? Well, you know, one thing that I've been doing is sort of looking at this idea of there's a soulmate, you know, out there for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you know, many young adults, particularly, especially before they're married, have this idea that sort of marriage is about kind of finding the one and having this intense emotional connection with one person that makes you happy most of the time. And what the research that I'm doing right now suggests is that people who kind of embrace this soulmate model as opposed to a kind of a richer and more, um, I think, varied model that, you know, understands that marriage is about also about kids and about money and about community are more likely to be not just stably married, but happily married because they're not demanding so much of, of their spouse or of huh. their marriage emotionally. So that's, so that's kind of a newer, newer piece. So, Brad, what my takeaway for that is I've, I've got four girls from 16 down to eight. So I think I can safely arra- do an arranged marriage for them because they'll be able to find a happiness <laughs> fulfillment in that, right? Well, you know, the funny thing is that the, the stablest marriages in America uh, when it comes to immigrants to the U.S. today are Indian American marriages. So maybe. <laughs> maybe wow. It's really real. <laughs> oh, man. So. Brad, this was yeah. absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for just sharing your insights with us and um, all of the work that you're doing. Again, people can find more information f- about you and about your work at Institute for Family Studies. Is that right? Yes, familystudies.org is a good place to go for all this. Great, familystudies.org. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, we have a lot more great segments to come on Real Presence Live. Up next, we're going to be visiting with a local artist about how God has really molded him into who he is today, how art has played a huge part in his journey of faith. And later, he's the saint who corrected the first pope. Who is he? Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned to find out you're listening to Real Presence Live. We'll be right back. Live.